Hello, welcome to Work, Rest, Slay, the podcast for the Image Business Club, where we chat to Ireland's most interesting business leaders in the hope that we can learn from and through their experiences. My name is Melanie Morris, and I'm contributing editor at Image Media. Andrea Horan is a bright breath of fresh air, and it was a joy to chat with her for this month's podcast. Where they're talking about her first career in PR and marketing, her ricochet into founding Tropical Popical, the South William Street mecca for Zikai surfers on the hunt for beautiful nails, or the work she's done on the various causes and issues close to her heart, whatever Andrea puts her mind to, she throws herself into. And as we learn through this conversation, this makes her definition of success something far more multidimensional than a figure on a bottom line. Andrea and her team have just celebrated 10 years of Tropical Popical, so we get to talk about all that's happened in that time, socially, economically, in the way we do business and in the way we communicate and consume information. Thankfully, if we look at things through Andrea's kaleidoscope, there's a point to be made for standing firm and remaining authentic, even if we're starting to look ahead at uncertain times that have more than a hint of unsavoury about them. I think you're going to be both entertained and energised by Andrea's perspective, though. Just before we begin, it would be so appreciated if you'd hit subscribe on this podcast, rate us, and if you had a moment, leave a review. But now, let's get chatting with Andrea Horan. Andrea, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Happy 10th birthday. Oh my gosh, I'm exhausted thinking about 10 years of a one job. Like of Tropical <laughs> Popical. Um, was that all part of the business plan when you started? I love that you think we had a business plan. Thank <laughs> you very much. Very well. We did have some sort of business plan, but it was very written on a beach going, how will people feel when they leave rather than projected budgets, etc. God, did you ever actually write anything? Did you need to go to a bank? Did you need to go to? No, so body? everything was it. What we could do the touchy feely stuff rather than having to do projections. So it, it was how will people feel when they leave? What will it look like? What is our ethos as opposed to being about how much money will we make? And look, that's continued on for our 10 years. <laughs> but you know, I think that's so brilliant because I think we've learned many things over the past few years. But one of the things we've learned is there's no point projecting and forecasting because you're just going to have to go back and do, or am I wrong? You're just going to go back and do it three months later, yeah, well, a week later. I'm meeting my accountant for the first time on Wednesday, my new accountant. So I feel like she's a projector. That's her job to be a projector. It's not my job to be a projector. My job is to keep it moving. Okay, so for the second decade, <laughs> Trop Pop grows up. Oh yeah, we had to. We got in. We we joined like HR things and health and safety things. Because I, I was literally like, la la la, we do nails, but like all risk assessment stuff. Like, who taught you how to have them for nail bars? It seems the law. Oh my god, <laughs> Almighty! Okay, we we might get into a bit more of that in a minute. But I'd love to go back to um, your first incarnation, and I love the fact. I'm a great believer that people need to get new incarnations every few years yeah. or decades or whatever. Initially, when I met you, you were a PR, and you were living your best life, tripping around Dublin, best having a great life. time. <laughs> How did you get into that and how did you get into the coolest agency in Dublin at the coolest time and how did that all evolve? So it was a journey when I wanted to be a psychologist when I was in school and I didn't apply myself, didn't get the points. Thank God, because if I was a psychologist, it wouldn't have suited who I am. Mm -hmm. Then 
I was like, shit, what am I going to do? And I was going away on holidays. So I was like, mom, will you go and enroll me in something? Because I didn't get any college places. So she, I, I was like, oh, there's a PR course I want to do in Rap Minds. So she enrolled me in that while I was away. Very telling that I was on holidays trying to figure out my life. <laughs> and did the course. Didn't really, I don't know if I even passed the exams. Didn't really turn up to it. Was very busy. I think I was working in warehouse at the time so living my retail life loved 10 like I was working in 10 since I was 15 was obsessed with 10 all since I was younger and you were a bit of a nocturnal creature at that stage as well weren't you I was a very nocturnal creature (laughs) (laughs) and and so then I left I finished the course and I I wanted to work in a glam industry so I emailed all record label I sat down um, got lists of all the model agencies, all the record labels, all the PR companies. That was the world. I'd watched AbFab, close to your heart. Um, and that's where I knew my life was moving. So I was like, this is where I need to be. Uh, got a job in Edelman and they trained me up essentially from when I was 19 to 21. I was an account exec, learned how to do PR. Learned how to do it properly. Yeah. Like like a driving t- lessons. It was like a corp- more corporate uh business so I learned all the ropes there um because I always felt with college I was like why would I do all this work you're not paying me to do this Mm. which is ridiculous um obviously and then when I got to 21 I was like I'm too young to be this serious I need to take my Australia travel but not go away I had no desire to backpack around Australia I wanted to live the life Fandango in Dublin went partying um and I was working in I got a job in spin as sales Sold one ad in six months. Um, it's a sale. <laughs> it's a sale. <laughs> My manager was like, after the six months gone, do you think we should keep you on? And I was like, obviously not. Like, he's like, I really like you, but you're crap. <laughs> I was like, you're dead right. And I worked in Brent Thomas as well for a good while um, in the designer rooms, had a ball there. Nice. Yeah, it was a b- ball of a time. I'd say you made use of that discount. Was correct. Well, actually, no, because their clothes didn't fit me. So like shit, buzz, brand on Bummer. Um, and designers. And then I applied for a job. I was like, okay, I'm ready now. I think it was like maybe three years later, ready to settle down a bit more. Twenty five. Your gap year had been a my gap three year. year gap yeah. year. So then hmm. applied to Think House, had an interview with the founder Jay McDade. She heard that I was crap at sales. I was a bit worried about telling her, and she's like, Do you know what? I hate salespeople. You're hired. So. Started my journey in Thinkhouse and worked there for 10 years. 10 glorious years. I loved. That happened very quickly. I didn't think you were there for 10 years. 10 years. And you had like all the names that we'd be familiar with as your peers, didn't you? You had James Kavanagh. James Kavanagh. Joanne McNally. um, James O'Neill. Who else? Lots of very creative people. Yeah, everyone kind of left and went on and became superstars. the DJ. (laughs) Chewy the DJ (laughs) like it's mad to think everyone who worked there we had a ball we Mm -hmm. had a ball dinner job and yeah 10 years of joy and learning and but learning in a way that was not constricted it was very um, organic and very uh, yeah and we like we worked with some of the biggest clients in the world there while doing it while still having a ball so some of the clients can you tell us some of the clients you worked with and some of the launches because some were quite corporate in fact or FMCG related yeah and some were super cool Heineken was our the one when I stuck because I worked in Heineken in Edelman and when I joined Think House I was like the one client I want to get is Heineken because a it's full circle something to like I love the brand like of how they activate and stuff I was like that's 
a global brand that will be the goal for when I work here. So mm. that was uh, the, probably the biggest one. Ben and Jerry's was a great one to work on. It was when Jerry came over to Ireland, etc. So it was great to be part of that and like take the values of that brand as well into my later life, a lot of it. Um, and my favourite, almost oh, my, my favourite was Barry's Tea. Like, oh, it's such a gorgeous brand. And I think it's a family run business in Cork. It's the only tea that's really Irish, essentially. Um, Lyons is Unilever, which is a, a, a British company. A global brand, yeah. Um, and family company, they t- were ready to take risks. They'd, they, they were so entrenched in their own way of doing things, which is gorgeous, but were ready to take a risk when they came to Thinkhouse. So we kind of pushed their boundaries uh, quite far and did some of my favourite work I've ever done in PR on that brand. Like we did like a tea with series where we brought creatives that people would come and have tea with them. And uh, we had did stuff with Simone Rasha at the time and loads of people who've gone on to be humongous. So it was a really intimate affair as we did like Fish, uh, Greg Dowling, DJs and stuff little tea with them and finding they were little ta- videos weren't they they were in real life events we did videos but it was like bringing people into having a chat with someone in real life over tea it was a really simple idea but tapping into different communities like oh, fashion so you could tea. go and go to and have tea with that person it wasn't just for for digital, digital. no we did digital stuff but it, this is like pre-digital 20 years ago (laughs) probably went on Bebo (laughs) yeah we were big Bebo fans and remember that one where you went in before Meta the first life second life it was like a virtual world where you yes we did uh, we had an office in uh, second life back in the day I do remember that crazy shit yeah 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 (laughs) so um, so basically a lot of what you were doing was activation so that you were bringing brands to life 100% yeah yeah, as opposed to bugging out press releases and yeah well we did we placing did, stories we did, we did that as well Look that's that. what I love media relations yeah. I still love media relations so um, fast forward explain how you ended up sometime later <laughs> nail bar. as madame of a nail bar <laughs> um, what happened my dad died and myself and my sister went travelling for a year and we were just no um, objectives just chasing the sun finding our finding ourselves go on uh, eat pray love and we were got to America, got sick of talking to each other. And don't you know when you're with one person all the time, you've yeah. nothing to tell each other. You're yeah. with them all the time. So we started, we were sick of going out for like lunch or dinners or whatever. And we started going to get our nails done. It's very cheap, essentially, not yeah. just affordable. It's cheap. Mm. Obviously, there's issues along with that. But we got got into a habit of getting our nails done. And over there, it was so um, such a sociable event. And... They basically, I was like, I'd love to do something like that that's not alcohol focused, that people could do with their friends, set it as a date, make it fun. And we went to one in, I think it was Dallas, and it was an Hawaiian tropic, or Hawaiian nail bar. And oh, I was like, In Dallas. In Dallas. I can see it. In a strip mall. Oh! Stunning. My favorite. Tacky as hell. And I love tacky. Like, tacky's a, a positive adjective in my world. So I was like, this is stunning. Um, and I was like, okay, the idea started fermenting, went to South by Southwest, all my kind of pals came over, started talking it through with them at that. And then we went to Tulum in Mexico, the most tropical place in the world. Oh my God. Sat on a beach for three weeks and the idea kind of came together. I approached it as I would a PR plan, sat down and I'm like, what is it? What does it look like? How do we bring it to life? 
and then came back and found the place on St. William Street. And was it hard to find a premises at that stage? No. At that, like... What year was it? 2012. Right. Recession. Okay. So everybody, there was cobwebs. There was like not much going on. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, that place had been empty for a while. um, And it was probably a fashion wholesalers or something, was it? It was used for, I remember Ashing Farinella had a exhibition in it. So it was empty, but used sporadically. For little fashion pop-ups. Yeah. And And I think there was planning for a restaurant to go into it. Our landlord showed us a plan for a restaurant. And I don't know how the hell they'd do Mm. a restaurant in there. But... Yeah, then we took And did you go deep? Did you plunge into a 10-year lease or what sort of arrangement did you No, our landlord was very much a 4-11 or 4-9, What does that mean? You don't get tenancy rights. Ah, okay. So we've had two of those. Oh, I get you. So every four years you have to renew renew for the next. I get you. I get you. So in you moved. How much did you know about the nail business at that stage? Absolutely (laughs) nothing. We opened with no nail varnish. With no nail varnish. <laughs> on our first day, we were like, oh, we've no nail varnish. Our delivery hadn't arrived. So we didn't know anything. Um, we kind of got the shell sorted. Now, was this you and Michelle, your sister? This is me and my sister, Okay, Michelle, so you've yeah. gone back to speaking again at this stage. We we'd the, spoke. The bright we had, idea. We had a reason to talk again. We bonded you together. <laughs> yeah. um, Michelle was a hairdresser. She opened uh, salons in uh, salons, etc. So she knew how a salon worked, mm-hmm. um, which was a bonus. I knew how to build a brand. Um, and do marketing and figure out how to run a business, I suppose. Mm-hmm. So we got about opening up and then I kind of didn't know what we needed to order. So I was like, we'll hire people who know that. So we hired our staff. They told us what we needed uh, in terms of tools, etc. And then and I spoke to loads of beauty journalists actually in the run up to opening to be like, what brands do you like and what do you think and kind of got research deeply in that sense of the way to what we were going to open with and then yeah we opened and bish bash bash I think what's a lovely standout that I'm getting from this story so far and I think you know in terms of business thinking and creativity and building a business not being afraid to ask the questions and not being afraid to go to those who know the answers to ask the questions. I think so many of us would think, oh my God, I'd look really thick if I employ people and then the next minute I'm asking them what I need to do. What do you employ them for then? (laughs) I am very much of the belief and that came to me from PR where where clients would hire people or designers or PR people and then not listen to them. I'm like, why are you hiring us? If like, we're the experts in this. You're hiring people. You're paying us for our expertise. Don't then go off and be like, well, I know better because you don't. And it also builds on that great line. There's a lot of people trot out, which is always employ people who know more than you do. And you're going, OK, great. So why are you still telling them what to do? <laughs> so you actually employed people who knew more than you do and you listened to them. One hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. It was um, in, in the nail. I did a nail course a few months after we opened. So I knew the, the fundamentals and what was going on yeah um but definitely the staff are the star of the show for now sure. i love your uniform policy in <laughs> trop pop because it is fully inclusive <laughs> could you elaborate a little when we opened i had got i was in new york before we opened and i'd bought gold dresses leopard print shirts neon so it was kind of like our our uniform was gold neon leopard print that was the brief um, but I gave, I was like, I think people will want to be given a uniform. And then it turned out they hated it. And I was like, okay, fine, just wear leopard print. So that was distilled down. So now we just have that continued on 
the one rule we have is you can't wear black because it's so easy to fall back on and in the beauty industry all uniforms are black so we are all about the crack and brightness and life and uh exuberance and i think if black kind of drains that sometimes in a professional environment in a beauty salon that's whatever so our whole thing is no black and leopard print so you can wear whatever you want so we do have a mixture of people working for us so it's very we don't try and um assign personality or uniform to people they get to live their best lives as they are and we ask people to bring themselves to work like 60% of what we're offering is the experience so we need them to be themselves and we hire because of that so that needs to come across in the main way we communicate which is visually in what we wear so I was going to say I think Tropical Popical is the only nail salon I have ever been to where I couldn't tell you how long an appointment lasts usually a little alarm goes off in your head after about one hour 15 minutes it says I want to go home (laughs) like I would imagine you're turfing clients out at the end of the day are you? Well we've always when I opened I wanted I had in my mind it would be a community hub where people would come in and sit and whatever now Mm. obviously that it was a little bit at the start the novelty that has gone and also we need don't have enough space um but yeah people do come in for the chats and they do kind of hang around a lot of the time and keep up the chats that people are continuing to have because it does become a group conversation a lot of the time well I also have this idea in my mind that it's a little bit like Greece that maybe people come in a bit Sandra D and they all <laughs> leave Sandy don't they um we, we are a fan of nudes as well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's a super place and it's the kind of place that one bad apple would bring the whole shooting match down very, very quickly. So you must work really, really hard to keep everybody happy and motivated and rewarded. It is. We have had moments where that has happened for sure. And it is about managing to contain that and not to let it spread and also Again, yes, making sure everyone is happy and that like we have long term staff there. Like we were celebrating a nine year anniversary of one of our team the other day, um, which is bananas in our industry. Mm. Um, but we do try and we listen to our team. We have a, we have a lot of communication uh, and team meetings and one on ones and all that kind of stuff. And if there is an issue, delve into it. But we like our whole ethos is like we have to work to get paid to live in this world essentially how do we make that the best for me and my sister a but also everyone who works there because we all it's takes up our time Mm. how do we make it the best place it can be for us to earn a living and live our lives um, so that's kind of if if everyone's happy, then it's a better place. It's so true. It's absolutely. I'm amazed you haven't won one of the big corporate best places to work awards. <laughs> but you know, maybe it's just around. I the think corner. you have to enter them, don't you? <laughs> Possibly. Um, now tell me, you know, looking back on the first ten years, you know, one or two things. What do you think you got right? And if you were going back again, what would you revisit? Oh God, uh, what did we get right? I think our ethos, like. The fact that we like to have a good time and that comes true in what we do um, and the fact that it's 60% nails and 40% experience. I got the mm-hmm. percent wrong earlier. Um, that definitely is for me. What did we get wrong? Do you know what? At COVID, I started to question our ethos a little bit and we've never been about accumulation. So we've kind of worked, in my mind, I work on the basis of 
if you get to the end of the year and you've got a profit, you have to pay tax on that. Mm-hmm. So why would I want to pay more tax on when I've already paid? Like, it feels like we just chase tax at the moment. So I always was like, we'll spend the money that we have on either wages or on fun things to do or um, new products or whatever. So that the money is spent by the end of the time we're not paying tax. So what's the, pro- what's the point of a profit? Mm. Apart from if you're trying to sell on the business or impress people or your ego or shareholders shareholders etc yeah, so yeah. we have none of that well obviously we have a bit of ego uh, <laughs> <laughs> you just need to keep that topped up <laughs> but not indulged <laughs> yeah but so like what's the point of profit and like I think the Phoenix who obviously have it in for me at the moment have written a few articles but they were like oh things aren't bright in, in South William Street with the profits uh, blah 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 I'm like we're, our goal isn't profit however then when it got to COVID and it was like, okay, your business is shut down. I was like, oh, shit, have I done this all wrong? I like, forgot to save some money. Have I? Should I have been focused on accumulation so that we would be not struggling? We would have all these reserves and that we blah, blah, blah. But then I was like, okay, if we had all those reserves, we would have spent it in the first few weeks, months or whatever. Um, now, obviously, we had government supports. It would have been a different story Everyone without that. Everyone needed that. Yeah. yeah. So it was like... I did question whether that was the right ethos around that time. And even now, how many months are we back open? We're still catching up on residual debts of uh, VAT payments, warehouse debt and rent. Because we still had to pay rent when we were closed. Like people forget that there was rent and um, all those things and rates that had to be paid while we were closed. So that you're kind of on the survival. And then you're like, maybe if I had accumulated, I could have done all this. But then... If you're, then I realized that is an ethos that is driven by fear of what could happen and preparing for the worst. Whereas, like, everything can be annihilated for whatever reasons that are out of control. So if you are focused on accumulation of what might happen, you're focused on fear. And that is not a way I want to live. And it's not a way to look at the future. A hundred percent. And I have a very wise friend who works for Accenture, who, who, who is conservative, who says to me, and it's so true, there is always a way to make money, but there is maybe not always a way to get back the experience, to get back the quality, to get back the customer loyalty. I don't know if that's too simplistic or not. But uh, No, I, I think I, I always say money is energy and that is maybe a privileged position to be in to mm. say that. But I kind of like I've I've hit rock bottom with money, but I've like figured my way out all the time. So I feel like if you if you focus on holding on to it rather than living yeah. like you're you're holding on to fear you're holding on to holding yourself back as opposed to trying to move forward into yeah. the future I mean obviously we are generalizing here <laughs> but we're generalizing to make an example as opposed to oh, our life yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't expect it to be the norm unfortunately um Andrea sort of you know over COVID I have to say, uh, you know, in the early days when I was looking at my very long, hard gel nails and so many people were trying to sell gel removal kits and sell something else. And fair enough, you know, obviously people had to do that. (laughs) Um, You came up with amazing social around how to do it yourself, but you also then came up with really, really clever ways to sell back to your community. Um, And you were out of the gates really quickly. You were doing raffles. You had so much (laughs) fun on on your social channels. Was that really difficult to do or was this just something that was coming naturally to you? Um, I think I exist in a PR brain 
um, because I've worked in it for so long. And even I would consider Trop Pop a PR job for me rather than like I obviously do all the other stuff. But the PR is, ma- is mainly where I thrive and where I excel. I'm good at it. Mm. Um, so it was kind of it just came from necessity because it was like, OK, well, I need to take off my gels. No one's going to do it. Um, I might as well do a video and make it fun. We've nothing else to do. So me and Michelle will be sitting in my house going, what we do today? Let's do, <laughs> let's do a video. Or I would never do a video. Let's do a step-by-step. Or, and then it was like, okay, we need to get money in. How do we get money in? We can sell, we can't sell. How do we do, keep it as close to our ethos and our brand as possible without looking like we're just whatever. So we always try to do a fun um, and in keeping with who we were. So the, the raffles was just a way to get money in. Essentially, we needed to pay bills as I came in. But you were smart because I think while everyone was doing one thing, which, you know, may have been selling gift tokens or whatever, you came up with something a little bit more quirky or just something Engaged. that your community would latch into. Yeah, and we are always cognizant of who our audience are and responding to that and not just, I suppose, going for the easy win. It's like, how do we make this fun as well and how do we make this add value to other people's lives and not just look like it's for us Mm. and I suppose the fact that the brand comes from so much a part of you you manage to keep that authenticity which then comes through at the receiving end which then evokes a response 100% and so much of me is in tropical popcorn and that's difficult I suppose if I had to uh move on or separate myself like I often think of how would I write the guidebook of how the brand operates because so much of it is so intrinsic in my mind and and Michelle now how she operates so Mm. it would be very hard to kind of write those values down and I hate anything corporately admin so I would hate to write that book or Mm. uh, delve into what the brand values are because we just know them. Actually, somebody would be better off sitting on your shoulder for a week than trying to read <laughs> some download on paper. Yeah. Um, you know, that's tropical popical and it's working away, but you don't stop there because obviously you have unreal issues and all the work you do around advocacy in there too. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that's been and where it's going now? Yeah, um, unreal issues was set up um, as a frustration um, around how politics was connecting with younger women in particular and uh, what was being provided in the media that maybe didn't satiate or didn't really connect with younger women. And it was around the time of the repeal referendum and I saw all these um, women who could make this issue a red line issue for politicians who were completely disengaged. And I was like, how do you transform those... Uh, women into realizing that they have a lot of power and they this affects them in a way that's uh, in their sphere that talks in their language and that is not patronizing and that is engaging and that is educated um, and all of those things that all those women are but that who don't read the comment section of the Irish Times let's mm, say mm. so that kind of started from there again I sat down with a bottle of gin Set, wrote out a PR plan of how it would operate and I, I think I'd start it first with Joanne we were trying to create like maybe a feminist platform Joanne of, McNally yeah of women's stories and women's issues and um and it kind of evolved then more to focus on the referendum um she got the boot she was too busy making jokes <laughs> uh and then that 
I kind of had watched the marriage referendum and how a lot of projects had started in the marriage referendum, had engaged all these people. And then when it was over, they all just filtered away. And I was like, oh, it'd be really good to maybe create something that could focus on different issues and be maulable rather than just be one thing that it was focused on. So I was like, okay, the unreal issues, issue number one, repeal. Um, now, as it happens, had a, a like a really good time and um, a lot of fun with that project and a really serious issue. And our whole thing was that we threw glitter on a serious issue um, without minimizing it. And um, so it was a really interesting project. Got to the end of it after the referendum. And it, it took up a lot more time than I expected it to because it, it started as a passion project, obviously. And um, I kind of put my tropical popical life on hold for two years. Well, every task creates more tasks. A hundred percent. So I couldn't, it, it became more and, and bigger and bigger. And the more closer, the, as the referendum was called then, and it, it got closer and closer. It was like, oh my God, this is what I, re- I I really need I don't want to get to the after the referendum doesn't pass and me to think I wish I had it done more so yeah. that was the cycle I was stuck in not stuck in wanted to very ch- chose that cycle um so I put a lot into it and then when it, the referendum passed there was a kind of relief stage but then there was a a really down time that I need like I went away with my mom and I was just lying there really like I'm absolutely exhausted I have no capacity for anything else so the, it just kind of, the second issue never arose. So Unreal Issues has kind of been... Well, the second issue evolved into No More Hotels. Yes, uh, a, a different audience. So it it didn't, it, a different platform was created for that, I suppose. Then, um, yeah. I'm, it's still issue driven. It's still issue driven. Yeah. But I suppose I still have all those no, Unreal Issues that like maybe I'll go back to and do another issue that was very you may need it next year I'd say there'll be a few issues arising (laughs) (laughs) Um, but No More Hotels then was started as I have a a really deep passion for the city of Dublin and um, myself and Dave Byrne who's the creative director in Think House as it happens um, we were watching the eradication of spaces to dance in the city and the gentrification that was happening without any consideration for cultural spaces. And we were like, how do we activate on this? And we wanted to do something that was very us as well. So we started a club night called No More Hotels. And we we, we always wanted to run, run a club night. It started off as something that we wanted for people our age who wanted to go out clubbing but wanted a more maybe comfortable experience wanted a seat also yeah so we Between times. was like do you remember Velvet yes on William Street yes gorgeous boots mm. music somewhere to dance table service oh the dream mm. so that's kind of where we started going to and it started off as something like I just want to go to some places where like I could meet men and like because I was single I was like there's nowhere to do that and it very quickly developed into a very not straight night. Um, <laughs> surprise, surprise. So we started this club night. We only hosted three nights of it, which is bananas. But we we always think there was way more. Yeah. But what we did was we, we made it into three different sections. The first section was how do we uh, show venues that you can make your 
uh, club nights more commercially viable if they start early. So get people into the venue. Prinks were taken over. Uh, how can a club night exist if people are only arriving at half 12 one and have to leave at three? Our licensing laws are in bits. How do we illustrate that fact while also being helpful? So we're like, let's showcase that you can make your venue be multi-purpose and start early. So we had a dinner and a show that would get people in early. So they had to be there early. So that then we asked people to perform. So we had like Erica Cody, um, Long before she hit the dance floor. Long before she hit the <laughs> dance floor. Um, who else? Before? Loads of people to perform. Yeah. It's dinner and a show based on Leo in Ibiza. Dinner and a show there is so fab. And then it would turn into a club night. And then we had this thing called Dublin Island Disco where we asked 10 people who were well known in Dublin to DJ 10 of their favorite songs. Easy peasy. And it was the crack. But it also then allowed us to have a platform to talk about all the issues that were around uh, what was happening it's in Dublin. It's a beautiful PR package. <laughs> it really, really is. It's a master plan. It's, it's a and it's worked in it's reality It's so weird too. when you put two PR people together. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was absolute crack. But it, it really worked in terms of allowing us to have that platform. And we did become quite uh, vocal in, in, ter- in media and etc. about the city and the the amount of cookie cutter hotels that were allowed to spring up um, like hotels were being built without a brand attached to them and then they were just whacking the brand on at the end. But it's amazing because honestly, and I think anyone who lives in the city or drives around the city, you go around a corner of, I don't know, Stony Batter and suddenly you find some mad hotel that you didn't even know existed. You yeah. go around the corner up, up by, you know, Guinnesses, there's another five of them. And I would like to say... I love hotels. Mm. I love them. I have nothing against hotels. This is a monoculture of hotels that have swept the the city that are like the lowest common design Mm. as well. There's no thought given to the what the effect that building is having on the city on the mood of the city of the people who are, have to engage in that visually and um, in the environment of it so they're not first choice hotels put it that way correct yeah yeah <laughs> but you know when Garth they Brooks serve is a in town <laughs> they're full and well yeah well for a lot of the time they weren't full because they couldn't get staff so they were and the prices were going up and we need these hotels but they were all empty floors were empty and I think now 40% of hotels are being used for refugees yeah yeah so do you so many questions and solutions that need to come out of that that are not being addressed well absolutely and I was going to say do you see um, a future for no more hotels the initiative do you see you segueing a little bit I would say the pandemic happened and knocked our um, socks off. Mm. Give us an night are doing such amazing work. And they're do, like, we always said that we didn't want to do, uh, like I spoke to loads of people and I was like, I don't want to get into campaigning again because it was so exhausting, I think, for repeal that I didn't want to get into the nuts and bolts of it. I was like, I'm happy to bring the audience along. Yeah. Because um, Give Us a Night, we're already doing the work. So we never claimed we wanted to do the work because they were doing it already. So we That's were adding, yes, yeah. adding another bow to bringing the audience along because it's all well and good saying, having maybe like politicians on board or whatever. But if, if people are still seeing nightclubs as a nuisance and not that they add value to the nighttime economy I hate that but the nighttime culture or to the value of a city or to the fact that clubbing is actually culture so it was kind of getting that message out 
And then I presume, and I'm, am I putting words in your mouth here asking this question here, but did the pandemic and the fallout from all of that bring you back into Tropical Popical a little bit more? 100%. Mm. So um, pandemic, I was frozen. I couldn't uh, be creative. I couldn't do anything. And I had so many projects that I was like, do you know what? I'm going to do this. Couldn't. I mm. actually couldn't function. Mm. Um, it really fr- froze me, I have to say, creatively. And I'm a, I'm quite a doer and I didn't get anything done during the pandemic. And obviously there's a reason. And I think we're, as a as a nation and as a world, we're all going through post-traumatic stress syndrome and that we're not addressing that. Um, so I froze and then I struggled then trying to catch up with business and um, trying to manage everything. So like we stopped doing the podcast because we were so caught up in current affairs. This is United, United Ireland. Ireland. I would come back and ask you a little bit more about that. Um, yeah. That was current affairs focused. I needed to get out of current affairs, right. give my head space, as they say. And the business was was needed attention and needed me to jump back into it. So I cut back on every single distraction or addition and just brought myself back to Trop Pop and stayed there for a while. But, you know, there's a nice um, what's the word I'm looking for? Circular movement to this, because in a way you're coming into your new decade. You started the last one focusing entirely on Trop Pop and slowly it gathered momentum and slowly you forked off into other things. And maybe now you need to come back to home and do the exact same process all over again. A hundred percent. And I I, like Trop Pop is like my baby. I love it so much. And I was getting so distracted with wanting to solve every other problem in the world um, and kind of forgot about it and the joy that it brings me. And now that I'm back in it, I'm like... This is this is cozy and home and lovely. Now you do know, and I'm not even joking here. When you run for the Oris, I want to part on your campaign team because it's going to happen. I, I really, happen. I really don't think. So. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but absolutely, I can see it. Um, imagine the parties in the Oris. Mm. Could you imagine the nails in the Oris? <laughs> the ball. Little, you can. You could have a, a trop pop in the zoo. Oh well, it would be questions fair. over the zoo. But go on. <laughs> okay. Um, United Ireland podcast, I must say, it was the one I listened to, especially during the early days of lockdown. Yourself, Nuala Malali, had it nailed. But I know it was more than just a COVID update (laughs) channel. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about it, because I think it's all it's nice to go back and revisit those um, podcasts. Yeah, maybe not the COVID ones, but the other ones. (laughs) I love United Ireland. Um, Basically, I often looked to Una Malali as my oracle before like a lot of the time maybe before I got more political and with questions she would we'd she wouldn't just answer them we'd have a conversation about them and and delve into them a lot more um and I so I often lent on her knowledge and work as a journalist then when we were do when we were in referendum time 10 weeks before the referendum we wanted to do something that would mobilize more people and make it fun because it everyone was drained everyone was sick of it everyone who was working on it was like exhausted so it was to keep the momentum going and to kind of pep things up but also be engaging and informative so that worked really well we like it was really successful and then when it was finished we were like we really enjoyed doing that we should do a, another podcast so we took it took us a year i think after uh, that but we kind of formulated this idea that we wanted to look at current affairs in a way that was uh about bringing people together rather than so there's more that brings us together than divides us so it was uniting the whole of ireland mm. as opposed to being about a united ireland um and so we had it in 32 counties 32 questions so each 
week, we would look at a county and figure out something that was topical in that county, but had a wider reach. So maybe it was about forestry in Leitrim or it was about um, creating a rainforest. It was a lot of nature based, but then it was also about um, maybe the crime spree of Queen Insurance and all the, the stuff that went on around that. So it was delving into issues. I loved it because it brought me in directions that I wouldn't have had a natural interest in. So I was learning all the time. So you were kind of asking Una the questions? Not necessarily. We would both delve into okay. and we'd get an expert in to tell us. Yeah. So I was learning. It was maybe if, like I didn't know anything about Sitka's Bruce beforehand and the effect that was having on our forests in Ireland and the, how our natural forestry is down from 100% of what it used to be to 1% now, which is bananas. Anyway, side note. Uh, <laughs> you can't resist an issue, can I you? I know. The, like, <laughs> literally. Um, but the the Citizens' Assembly on Biodiversity Loss was on this weekend, so I was di- diving into that. Um, but um, it was really good because it was educational. But what I felt it was also was it wasn't just about the news because we talked about current affairs, but it was, wasn't was about just telling the news. It was how we felt about the news. And we we had a side a side episode thing, what is, a bonus episodes yeah. called The Sunday Soothe, which was more about we're both quite spiritual is not the right word, but we're both quite in touch with um, nature and the pagan Celtic wheel and and all how that influences energies and all that kind of stuff. So we were kind of bringing that kind of idea to news as well, as well as analytics mm-hmm. is what I think we were doing. So it was quite the quite the thing, but we were doing it for a long time. It was all, you kind of had to know what was going on to be able to talk about it. So I was in, head down into current affairs and what was going on, the scraps on Twitter and all that, which is not good for your mental health. And um, so... It's very, it's it's also quite diverse, you know, and so it's nice to hear that you're kind of tying all of that up in a bow for the moment, going back to Tropical Popical. We've touched- I'd say we'll come back to the podcast though in January. So we're, oh, we're back into reformatting it and making it work again because we Una was working on a project. She needed time. I needed to go back to Trap Pop. So it's something we're still, we still love. It gives both of us so much our... Uh, I can't go down the street without being stopped going, when's the podcast coming back? So yeah. it will definitely no, it be something we'll do. It was, and I would imagine Dermot Ferreter will be bringing it out for everything <laughs> that she's going to be doing in the next five, ten years. Um, we've touched on post-COVID times and everything else, but if you were to focus your business brain, and maybe this comes back to what you were saying about getting help on board for the actual nuts and bolts of business, can you tell me some of the things you've been doing in 2022 to further your business? Um. I would change the word further my business to survive my business. Okay. <laughs> We've been uh, literally hit with so many issues that are not related to our business in particular or how we run our business. It's more the wider environment of the fact that we have a housing crisis. There's nowhere for people to live in Dublin um, who are who don't want to be a tech worker. Um, so... If you are a service provider, it's very difficult to find somewhere that's affordable to live in the city centre, which is Banana Town. Um, the, then we have, so that's led to staff in crises, which are across the board. Um, many restaurants I know are, clo- are closing day like days of the week because they can't staff them. Mm. Um, so we had a bit of a, like we kept all our staff through COVID, but some, like some of our team had moved to Berlin because they just couldn't. Yeah. Dublin was so hostile 
uh, to live in. So we had staffing that we had to get people on board. We find it very hard to staff because this is bananas to me. In the beauty industry, there's, it's not regulated. So we get so many applications from people who uh, are working in different nail bars who don't have certificates or training. They're they're taught when they like they have done it themselves and then they go in or whatever. So for insurance reasons, we only hire people who are qualified, qualified and mm. certified, which is, I think, going to be the biggest issue in the beauty industry going forward, that there is no regulation. Um, the, f- after COVID as well, there was all the issues with the black beauty market of people were doing nails and facials and Botox in their sheds. Is that now called the shadow economy? The shadow economy. Isn't that the polite word? Correct. For it? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I think uh, if you're doing that, getting money tax free, you don't have the responsibilities of... Course, of course, and if you're 22. Health and safety, yeah. you don't have the responsibilities of rates. You don't have all of those things that Commute, are added on as a business owner to have to provide and pay and all that kind of stuff. So th- there was that. Then there was historical rates and uh, all that kind of stuff to catch up on. And then you've got an, where covid is rearing its head again cancellations and gaps in thing that are problematic then you like there's a is it really awful that when you say that the first thing i think of is fabulous i'm gonna get an appointment <laughs> i'm so sorry for no. being so selfish <laughs> so it is a difficult environment at the moment to operate in and also we're based on the city center the city center has lost its allure a lot what age group is in there now i don't know what is going on tourists Really? It's, it's tourist based because there's so little places to go now. Um, so many businesses closed during the pandemic. Um, it became a bit of a lawless place during the pandemic um, that so many people have worked really hard to change that again. Mm. And there's so much work being done on making the city more uh, enjoyable to be in. But all those hotels that have been built, they're filled with tourists so we do have a lot a city that is very tourist based yeah um that is it it it, we don't have amenities in the city that Mm. are being provided we like when you look at the different uh councils around the the different like say dublin county council and uh, dunleary ratan county council that have provided amenities we are really being sold in a wazoo with what yeah. we're getting in the city so it's not a pretty city it doesn't maybe feel as safe as it did there's nowhere there's not the the environment of like don't you know, I remember when I was like younger um the buzz of going out after work when I worked in Brent Thomas like Rashiger and that was why you went to work because you couldn't you, wait to go out after and whatever you get the bus in for work and who knows where I'll be home exactly and you'd no plan a hundred percent. That was the best thing ever. Mm. Whereas there isn't really that vibe anymore. So mm. I think there's a lot a bigger picture work to be done on Dublin City for all the businesses that are involved in. And we have a lot of the issues of pedestrianisation that are being pushed back on. And like there is a will to make things work, but it just there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on to a more happy, fun, frivolous side of things. <laughs> and on behalf of Image, we have to give Tropical Popical the biggest thanks for bringing the party to the Business of Beauty Awards every year. And this year, no more so than I can remember I was lucky enough to be emceeing the event and looking down and seeing a full-blown conga going on that had been started at the Trop Pop pay- table. But you guys had won three awards, including the Ooh. Lifetime Achievement for you. Do winning awards, does winning awards, does it mean anything? 
or where, what does it mean? Um, I think it may in different aspects of my head it means different things. I think from a business perspective for clients it, it looks really good. They are delighted that the, and all our clients are co- our regular clients are like oh I this is my crew and I knew that you were the best. Then for the staff, obviously, it's amazing or the team. Uh, really um, good morale booster. Good morale booster. They're delighted. They all, like It's their favourite night out as well every year. We have right. an absolute ball. <laughs> um, and then I suppose for me, it like I was always driven by maybe like a, an ego validation thing. Um, and the more I kind of challenge that I have to be like okay it's so nice to get the recognition from your peers but you can't be driven by that I suppose and that you have to be confident in knowing that what you're doing is what's right and not needing that so it's more like what a joy to get like a dessert it's if you're reliant on awards to to justify the fact that you know what you're doing is the right thing then I think that's bad but what a what a wild joy to get it. Well, I have to say, I think you won Best Nail Nail Salon and then Joe won Best Nail, nail Artist yep. and then you won Lifetime Achievement. One and two, I can see your community being very active and getting behind it. But number three, the Lifetime Achievement, there were communities from all over the beauty industry voting for their own and voting for others. So it was such a huge reward for you to get, award and reward for you to get and a hundred percent and there's like the and people who were in that category are some like they're the best people in the world so it kind of does validate what you're doing because when our business plan is so different I suppose to most people's who are all about growth and uh expansion and that's not what drives us so to to decide to walk your own path and then to get uh validation for that is obviously gorgeous it's brilliant question who in Tropical Popical then does we give you the award and then when we come into Tropical Popical we find it has been popified <laughs> there are gems on it there's colour on it there's nail varnish on it who does all of that I did it oh <laughs> my god bizarre is there no end to your time and talents <laughs> I think we had like these polka dots from somewhere and well because we, we were like oh they're all glass and Obviously, we're, I don't know. That's they look great. We sound like we're a bit annoying. <laughs> Glass is just not very us, you know. <laughs> so we just added a bit of polka dot. No, we just had these stickers. And then when there was one done, I had to do the other. So we just kind of decorate them. Well, we'll take note for next <laughs> year. <laughs> um, I want to ask you about a post you put up on Instagram a couple of weeks ago. And I absolutely loved it. And to paraphrase you, you were basically saying as a business founder w- and with regard to social media, you hate the idea of having to become a performer and you don't want to be performing dances on digital platforms in order to retain your cohort. Yes. Tell me a little bit more about your feeling about social media right now and how are you working your way around it? Because if you're not going to do it, we want to know and we want to know how we're not going to do it. I love social media and I loved how it leveled the playing field for everyone. Everyone had an equal stake. I hate what's being done and the commodification of it. Obviously, it's a business, these platforms. But when, for example, I'm not on TikTok and whenever I say I'm not on TikTok in brand marketeer sections, they're like, oh, really? (laughs) Um, And I'm like, and it's like. Not even for Little Scroll. No. It's a time eater. Mm, It It wastes your time. Like 
what I hate videos in general. So I'm like, like some people I've watched are like, oh, I've been on TikTok for two hours. What were you watching? Someone eating their breakfast. Who cares? Do you know that way? So I didn't go on TikTok and I got feedback of like, oh, you're such a granny. Get with the times. I'm like, but am I a granny or are we just so kind of bullied into moving with the times that we're not questioning what we're doing? Um, for example, when Instagram changed the algorithm to video first, everyone was like, oh, I have to start making videos. And people were making videos of like, their breakfast, their breakfast. And like, don't get me wrong. I love a picture of breakfast or whatever. Like, show me what you're eating. But like, I'm going to pour the oats in and then I got to pour like, and that's calming for some people enjoy that. That's totally fine. But do I want to become somebody who makes that to fit the algorithm? And the fact that I push back on not wanting to A, open up like a wound and weep out my trauma or weep out all my experiences to like get followers or reactions on Instagram or on social media. Does that make me a granny or does that actually make me question what I how I exist in the world? So then and what that is doing to younger people who feel like that they have to um show up with every emotion online to get validation from other people for that. So you kind of start have to look in inside and be like, I feel like sometimes the granny, um, digital granny card is used to tar people who are not doing that. And I, I think when it moved to video, it's like, what is wrong with the static image and why are we being led, which is a consumerist and capitalist platform who are trying to make more money that you are changing who you are and what you're doing online so I have to always go back to what do I want to give online and where are my boundaries and in terms of from a social from a business perspective but also from a personal perspective and when you look at creators like musicians and artists and everything and so many of their conversations are like why do I now have to become um, a clown on social media to sell the music I'm making is my music not enough anymore mm -mm -mm. and why have we has our society become so um dependent on that platform and I feel like there's going to be a, a kick around what's the word I want to say a turnaround maybe yeah of reliance that people are like because you're not getting cut through if you're not doing what the the tech companies want you to do that I think people are just going to get pissed off and be like do you know what ram it and like I'll do I'll create what I want to create and the people who want to find me and will find me and will find different ways of so navigating that we'll be on a little different part of the dark web so to speak <laughs> <laughs> maybe not the dark web but I like the glitter web why is somebody not like set up a, a platform to challenge Instagram people still want static images and when I put up that post about like I don't want to be making these videos so many people who are young so it's I know it's not an old thing but like young photographers are like uh, that's my whole world why do I have to videoize it and even like blind boys putting up static images with videos on top going this is a video I'm just putting this up because of the algorithm blah blah so like people are pissed off yeah. like so I don't understand why we don't like somebody is not if I was a tech investor I would be launching a static image esque what Instagram used to be well we can see what's happening to Meta's share price so somebody needs to have a word with somebody don't and they? like also You've got Twitter who's going to be taken over by Elon Musk. That's going to go to shit. So I think there's definitely don't fall into what you think you should be doing on social media. Do what feels right, but examine what it is, because at the same time, I know if you're a small business owner or whatever, you're like, well, I need to get people in and mm. I need to move to make that work. But like, 
don't lose your values at the for for the shareholders of tech companies. Well, I suppose if you dancing around your office isn't authentic, <laughs> just don't do it. <laughs> but like I've seen some content of people where the staff are like, oh, the boss is coming in. Yes. And like, they're acting. I'm like, you're not actors. Why are you doing this? I know it's ridiculous. It really, really is. It's like, it's very Scroll upsetting. on. <laughs> um, once a PR, always a PR, Andrea. So what plans do you have for Tropical Popicals 10th birthday? Because it's coming up this month, isn't it? It is. It is coming up at the start of November. Um, we will be 10. I'm going to ask you that question again because this is going to be going out in the first weekend of November. I okay. should have told you that. Um, once a PR, always a PR, Andrea. So what do you have planned for Tropical Popicals 10th birthday? So for our 10th birthday, we, I was in my frozen stage. I was like, oh my God, it's our birthday. What are we going to do? We Like initially, I always go to party. Um, and then I was like, I don't want to spend money on a party that doesn't have any value for our clients, um, etc. And I kind of brought it back to the ethos and values of the brand and what we've always been about, which has always been about the city, community, um, small businesses, creators, artists. And I was like, how do we uh, pull that all together? And then I kind of, I think I started with one um, one brand stuck in my mind that because because I this is kind of how my process works. Okay. I'm either on Instagram or even though I've just ranted about how much I um or one thing happens and they snowball and mm-hmm. my boyfriend is literally like watching me going it's fascinating to see how you kind of start with one thing. It's a, not like a sit down, what will we do? Mm-hmm. They kind of naturally evolve and I had a candle, DA candle uh which oh, are delicious are beautiful delicious yeah um had a candle and i was like oh i'd love to maybe personalize these for trop pop because i love their brand and it'd be lovely to do that as a collaboration so got on and we decided that we would do that make a special tropical scented one um with tropical popical and so the two brands would drive awareness and sales to their brand and we're not trying to make money. We're not going to sell them. Uh, I think maybe we are. I think you should. Uh, I think we are. But uh, we're not doing it to make money. S- money. Mm. So it's more about raising awareness of different brands. It's community. Then I was thinking, what other brands would be able to be tailored? So then, uh, and that are fab. And then it was the craft cocktails that sprung up in the yes pandemic. Got onto them. I was like, would you be up for doing a tropical cocktail? So they're making a tropical cocktail. The team were doing nail designs to put on the labels um so there we've got a gorgeous pineapple margarita that will be on sale um on their website and then we are mazer who's been so intrinsic in trap pop and my life and what we've done Mm. together he is making a t-shirt of a tropical like inspired design that will do a limited edition t-shirt then we have Shop the Garden, which is on our street, which is very important. They're going to do tropical grab bunches. Great. Um, Bambino, the pizza place, they're going to do a special pizza with pineapple, which goes Yay. against their ethos. Uh, so they're going to tropicalize that. Then drinks, food. Uh, candles, t-shirts. Candles, t-shirts, flowers. flowers. Um, who else? Oh, your God. own stuff, your own designs. There's something else. Why can't I remember it? Anyway, we can come back to it if you do. Loads of fab local brands doing gorgeous stuff. Oh, that, coffee. Is there a coffee? Oh, Clement Pico, thank you very much. They're doing a tropical uh, coconut chai brew Woo. on the day. So I feel like that tropical 
wave hits the city oh on the day. God. And daddies are doing a tropical uh, sandwich special on the day. So wherever you go, there'll be a little bit of tropical popcorn in the city. So it's like, it's not just in Trop Pop, it's in the city. So some of the stuff will be going on throughout the month of November, the t-shirts, the candles, and then the shorter items, will the just coffees be or whatever. for the day of the 1st of November. So this may have actually happened actually by happened. the time. So we'll have to head for the t-shirts and the, the candles. Still, you'll still be able to get them. And in the cocktails? On cocktails. Yeah, you'll still be able to buy them. Great. There's plenty for us Loads to dig into. to do. Brilliant. Now, quick questions to round everything off. Because my God, I've gone through <laughs> your brain. It's been fantastic. So what do you think when all else fails you? What is your superpower? What can you dig yourself out with? Uh, fun. Excellent. Always trying to ha- add fun to something. Brilliant. Uh, do you have a morning ritual? You know, the way some people journal and others do yoga, whatever. <laughs> What's your morning ritual? Oh, my God. I know these are meant to be fast. So I was having a chat with who was probably leave it nameless, having a chat. And it was like, if you're don't you know when you see these motivational things, it's like, yeah, you've got a nine to five. But what do you do with your five to nine? And we were just like, fuck off, because it was like meditate and then my journaling and da da da. It's like, well, maybe if you didn't get up at five, you wouldn't need to do all that because you wouldn't need do you know that way. Anyway, so early rises, I'm here for you. Do what you need to do. But I don't have a morning ritual. Mine is uh, have coffee, have porridge and start my day at 10 or 11. Get out the door. Uh, what effect did the Sir Ronan shout out on The Ellen Show have for you? Oh, God, it was... Like you can't put it into words what it, what it did. It was so bananas because it just felt surreal. And people, I think, responded to that because she was so um, descriptive and so emotionally involved, it felt. In it. Oh, no, she was your spokesperson. Yeah, it was so bananas. Mm. Um, and oh, it was just brilliant. And it just like, I think it, uh, it, it added us to maybe like a, a people who wouldn't have heard of us before. Um, and people were just fascinated by it and how it happened and that kind of stuff. Did that, you know it was happening? No. So you were as surprised as we all were when you saw it pop up? We got a, my, I was at a funeral and my, one of the team rang me and was like, Andrea, the Allen show just rang and they wondered if they could use one of our pictures on from Instagram. And I said, yeah, I hope that's okay. And I was like, I always say yes to the Allen show. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? This is bananas. So I didn't know. And then it happened. We were like, what the hell? Amazing. It was Amazing. bananas. Um, What's your idea these days of a really good time? <laughs> I know what, back in the day it would have been a weekender. Uh, it still is, but <laughs> I just can't cope with it as much. Um, what's a good time? This is a bit crass, but I would say mm, feed me. I love food. Uh, feed, I'm going to say, I'm going to change the word. Feed me. Hug me. Indulge me. <laughs> Indulge me. Yes, that's nicer, isn't it? <laughs> and send me off with the gaze. So <laughs> that's kind of my mantra for, for Brilliant. a good time. That's the perfect tr- holy trinity. I really, know. Isn't it? <laughs> um, obviously, you are somebody who brings so much fun. So the idea of going into a room and networking possibly wouldn't be too <laughs> terrifying for you. But for those... It who- would. Really? I am a shy person. And everyone laughs when I say this. I am a very shy person. And I always have been. I hate networking. I hate going to networking events. I never do them. Okay, so any tips for people who may need to get out there? Yes. Figure out how you can do it in your own way. Every piece of networking I've ever done has been on the sesh at a party. And that's how all my connections have been made. So that's my way. 
Um, and if then uh, actually every one of them like have been done like that or if I need to go to a networking event I always kind of do it in a really small way so I'll sit at a table and people come to me I can't just go up to people so it's it's f- figuring out how you operate yourself and going with that and not trying to emulate how maybe someone who's who works a room does it or whatever yeah yeah no that actually is really really good good advice uh you may have answered this question for me already <laughs> um theoretically business breakfast or after work drinks <laughs> definitely after work <laughs> well neither i if you're going to entertain somebody, no, I don't, well, I mean, listen, <laughs> but if you needed to bring somebody out or if you needed to do something on a business level, I would, would it be say coffee, would it be Balfs. drinks? Yes. I go to Balfs for all my business requirements. I think it's a really, really good spot. Uh, and it kind of ticks every oh, box, I love it, it so much. And what it's in a hotel. See, I love hotels. Coconut, uh, flat white and the body burn breakfast. Oh my God. Perfect. Delish. Heaven. Yeah. Um, Favourite old reliable outfit? You know, you're wake, you've woken up in the morning, you have to look glam. What, what does your hand go for? Uh, so I've got this green dress. It's sequins. And I get slagged all the time for it. That, like, oh, the green dress out again because it's so memorable. So if I wear it twice a year and I don't shop, I don't buy stuff very often. So when I, I re-wear all my clothes all mm-hmm. the time, I don't think I've bought anything new in a long time. But... So whenever I, it comes out, all my friends are literally like, oh, the green dress is out, so I can't wear it anymore. But the minute I put it on, it's so comfy. It, you can wear it for three days at a party and it still looks stunning. Do you know what I love? The idea that, you know, some people might say, do you know, I bought a Roland Moray dress a few years ago or I got this <laughs> or I've got this Chanel jacket. No, green sequins for Andrea. Green sequins. I am not a designer. Well, I can't be for uh, fitting reasons. But even like designer accessories, not really. Yeah. Into the, yeah. Apart from Louis Vuitton, I want the Louis Vuitton bum bag, but I can't get it. The Louis Vuitton? The bum bag. Yeah. Mm. Oh, well, you never know. Santa Claus might be good. Oh, no, they don't sell it. You have to get it in like se- when they come in secondhand or whatever. Oh, my God. OK, so you've got to get. Yeah, I'm, I'm working on it. Chappelle on the case. They had one. It went really fast. That's... So if anyone's listening and has one they want to give me, let me know. Um, Which I, or which or what or who do you admire in the world of Irish businesswomen? Ooh, I think this is so corny, all of them, because obviously mm, that's a bit of a Sally Field of an answer. Is you it? Oh, well, OK. Like, I love watching Chupi grow. I love watching everyone grow who started mm. and they're following their path and their dreams and how they want to do it. Um, I think my idol in business would be not idol because we're I like we're co-collaborators I think at this mm-hmm. stage would be Jane McDade and Thinkhouse um, because I love the way she operates she fosters talent she keeps talent she keeps relationships she pushes boundaries she doesn't uh, let I don't want to say doesn't let her gender define her but pushes through the barriers that are the restrictive nature of being a woman in business but doesn't but continues to not let them definer and yeah I think that's great she does her she does her and she does uh, She, as she says she's like I'll take business from anyone male or female brilliant <laughs> um, some of your non-work passions like the, the frippery as opposed to the the um, issues <laughs> uh, 
food is my main passion in life. Mm-hmm. I literally sit watching Food Network for hours and hours and hours. I, I'm literally waiting for it to flip into Christmas mode because at the moment it's still like vegetables and mm. blah, blah. The minute Nigella's Christmas specials comes on and how to make the perfect roast potatoes, I'm in heaven. Do you cook? Uh, yeah, but not as much as I watch yeah. others cooking. I just love Food Network so much. Uh, food, dancing, clubs. Uh, Interiors. And yeah, I wouldn't it be a passion now. God, well, all the pictures we see of your house. <laughs> <laughs> I li- like, I like aesthetics are really important to me right. and being surrounded by beauty for my eyes, not Andre Leontale there, um, is very important to me, but I'm not into uh, like the, like I have a friend who's a big interior architect. It's not my passion, but okay. I, I like being surrounded by beauty. Excellent. Last question, and that would be, and I don't even know if you've gotten into this one yet in a big way, but what would you love to see happening in 2023? In the world? In No, in your, in your, in your world. <laughs> in my world. In your world. What would I love? I would, I've, I've got a project that I've been working on for like, since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'd like to finish that. Okay, so we're going to come back this time next year and ask you, did you do it? How about that? Okay, deal. Excellent. (laughs) Andrea, thank you so much. Not only have you given us such an amazing trip around your head and your business, we've done it without mentioning energy. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you again, Andrea. And here's to the next decade of you and Tropical Popical. May I also say thanks to Tall Tale Studios and to the team at Image, Dominique McMullen, Simone Kennedy and Bill O'Sullivan for their help in producing today's podcast. Incidentally, if you've enjoyed today's episode and would like to find more in the series, you'll find them all on our hub at image.ie forward slash workrestslay as well as on your usual podcast platforms. And of course, we'd be so grateful if you'd subscribe, rate and or comment on what you've enjoyed. Have a great month and we'll be back at the beginning of December with our final work rest slay of 2022.